Welcome out there to all you Bible readers. You are listening to the Rooted Podcast. We are in week number six of our podcast, and this week we're going to be talking about the book of Leviticus. Yes, that's right. Probably one of the least read books, we might say, of the entire Bible. But nonetheless, there are tons of important lessons and truths in this book that we're going to talk about today. Now, I hope you've enjoyed your reading so far because we've covered all of Genesis and you should have read all of Exodus. And so now, after we've had a day of break, we're ready to head right into the book. All right, as customary, when we begin a new Bible book, let's talk about some special features. First off, Leviticus complements the book of Exodus. It does not advance the storyline of the Old Testament. So the events that happen in the book of Leviticus, the book itself, kind of fits into the timeline of the book of Exodus. Secondly, the key words for the book of Leviticus are holy, clean, unclean, atonement. And the key verse would be a very famous one that most of you probably know, be holy, for I am holy. Third, Traditionally, the book of Leviticus was the first book taught to Jewish children. So can you imagine that? Can you imagine the first book that you teach to your kids is Leviticus? Wow, there would be so many questions, I'm sure. Fourth, Leviticus not only presents the entire religious system of ancient Israel, but it also lays the theological foundation for the New Testament teaching about the atoning work of Christ. And that word atoning or atonement is crucial if we're to understand Leviticus. Fifth, if you've ever undertaken a study of the book of Hebrews or a study of the book of Romans, you will not be able to understand the author's basic points unless you have a good grasp of the book of Leviticus. So it is a foundational and important book a book upon which many New Testament authors rely on in sense of when a New Testament author is writing his book, he is assuming that the people that are reading that New Testament book have a foundation of the Old Testament law and the Old Testament sacrificial system, things that are laid out for us in the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, if we were to boil it down, it is basically about how the people were supposed to approach a holy God. How were they supposed to regulate their lives in light of his presence? Because God was literally dwelling in the midst of them. How were they supposed to follow holiness in every aspect of their life? In fact, the first half of Leviticus, which is chapters 1 through 16, teaches us that the way to God is through sacrifice. And the second half teaches us how to walk with God in fellowship. So as we begin this week, we look at our reading. We'll cover this week Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, through all of chapter 21. Now the larger section of Leviticus 1 through 7 contains instructions on the five main sacrificial offerings. And the purpose of the rituals of the offerings demonstrates how people, in spite of sin and defilement, could maintain their holy relationship with a holy God. So chapter 1 of Leviticus is about the first one of these offerings, which is called the burnt offering. This was the most common that expressed devotion and dedication to the Lord. Sometimes we call this offering the Holocaust offering because it was completely burnt up in smoke. 
So no portion of the animal was consumed by the priests or the worshipers. It was completely consumed on the altar. When we surrender our lives to the Lord, we often term it we put all on the altar and hold nothing back. The New Testament parallel here is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where we are challenged to be living sacrifices, wholly yielded to the Lord. Now, throughout this first chapter, there are different instructions about different types of animals, whether it was a bull from the herd, an animal from the flock, or a bird. The reason for these three different types of animals was mainly because of a person's economic levels. If you were rich, you offered this. If you were poor, you offered this. The point is that no one was barred from access or from worship on the basis of income or ability. Isn't that an interesting point and thought? God wants to make himself accessible to whomever comes. But the deeper meaning that the burnt offering conveyed is that no one could approach the Lord at any time without a substitutionary animal to make atonement. This is why an Israelite had to lay his hands on the animal, a symbolic gesture of his sin being transferred to a substitute to the animal. And what a visible reminder for us today, because it's only through the blood sacrifice of Christ on the cross that we can enter the presence of God. The good news for us today is that Christ's sacrifice was a once and for all sacrifice. It is just as powerful as that day it was offered 2,000 years ago as it is today in which we're living. Now, the New Testament parallel here is found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. We need to remember our need to daily confess our sins, our need for daily forgiveness and purpose to walk in God's ways. Now, I forgot to add this note early on the podcast, but this podcast might actually be a little bit longer than the previous ones because of the amount of information here in Leviticus and its crucial understanding if we're to understand the rest of the story of redemption and how the New Testament authors connected back to the sacrificial system. So it might be five or ten minutes longer, so I apologize in advance. But let's keep going, lest we waste some time here. In chapter 2 of Leviticus, there are instructions about the meal offering. The meal offering was performed by a person who wanted to express their thankfulness to the Lord. Now, if you're reading from a King James Bible in your reading, it says this offering was a, quote, meat offering. Because meat was the old English word for food or for meal is the reason why it's there in your King James Bible. But there is no meat in this offering at all. In fact, this is the one of only, this is the only offering that is bloodless. This offering had several forms. It was normally a mixture of flour and oil offered in a cooked or uncooked form and it was presented with frankincense. The cooked form would often be baked cakes. Um, these cakes would maybe resemble our modern-day baked pie crust or, or a pizza dough of, of sorts. Now, the burnt offering was God's acceptance of the worshiper, while the meal offering was the worshiper's response by saying thank you to God. This offering also had what was called a memorial portion. You see, the priest did not offer the whole meal offering on the altar. He placed only a handful on it, and he was permitted to eat the rest. This memorial portion was a reminder of the worshipers that God gives abundantly to his people, and all he asks from them is some evidence that they recognize this and are thankful. It's just like in the New Testament when Jesus says that he is the bread of life. We are to recognize that everything we have in this life is because of him. 
And we often say thank you by giving ourselves back to him, by giving our tithes and our offerings to his church. Chapter 3 of Leviticus is about the peace offering, sometimes called the fellowship offering. And the main emphasis of the peace offering was on celebrating all the benefits of being at peace with God. It indicates that all is well between the worshiper and God. All the occasions in which a peace offering was made were connected to the blessings of God. Now, this was an optional sacrifice that an Israelite brought when he felt like it. This means that this offering was not one that the priest offered daily in the tabernacle. And because it was voluntary, this offering was often given at festive occasions or feast days that we'll later talk about when we get to Leviticus chapters 22 and 23. So in the burnt offering, God got the whole sacrifice. The meal offering, God and the priests shared the sacrifice. But in the peace offering, all three participants shared the offering. Now, one other point that relates to this offering is the fat of the sacrifice. And the fat was something that was completely given to God. The fat of an animal was considered the best part of the animal. And so the Israelites in all the enjoyment of God's blessings must never forget that the best should be given to God. This offering also has a New Testament parallel in the Lord's Supper. For the Christian, the great joy of being at peace with God through Jesus Christ's sacrifice is the essence of the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We are to remember his death and specifically what it accomplished for us until he returns. And because of Christ's death, we are now reconciled back to the Father. We now have peace with the Father. Now, chapters 4 and continuing through chapter 5, verse 14, deal with the fourth offering, which is called the sin offering. And it might be better termed as the purification offering. This offering was a more specialized sacrifice than the burnt offering and was offered less frequently. And its main purpose was purification because while all sin is sin, Different kinds of sin have different effects and are dealt with differently according to this Old Testament sacrificial system. This covering, excuse me, this offering, off this uh, sacrificial offering covered only sins committed unintentionally. So this category includes sins done by mistake or in error or through oversight or through ignorance, through lack of considerations or maybe by carelessness. This offering was also offered for unclean things that a person may have inadvertently touched that would defile him. This offering did not cover sins committed with a high hand or those sins done in defiant rebellion against God. There was no sacrifice for them. Now, there is one key distinctive about the sin offering, and that is all the inward organs and their fat were to be offered to God, just as in the peace offering. But the rest of the animal was to be taken outside the camp where it was to be burned. So the significance here is between the inward part of man and the outward part of man. You see, because our inner nature is now changed and acceptable to God based on Christ's sacrifice, nevertheless, we are still in a sin-cursed world. We still have to live under its reproach, under its rejection, just as Jesus did. Our physical bodies are still unredeemed, and we will not be redeemed until the resurrection of our bodies. That is why we look forward to the resurrection as the completion of God's work for us. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 through 14 says it best, and I'm reading from the NLT. It says this, under the old system, 
the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. All of that is wrapped up in this offering for the purification of sins because it was Jesus' offering of himself that purified us. Now, the last half of chapter 5 and through chapter 6, verse 7, talk about the last offering called the trespass offering. And this offering is closely related to the sin offering. The difference is the sin offering emphasized the offender's guilt before God, whereas the trespass offering emphasize the damage done to others by the offender. It illustrates the solemn fact that it is a very costly thing for people to commit sin and for God to cleanse it. So our sins hurt God and it hurts others. True repentance will always bring a desire for restitution, and we will want to make things right with God and those whom we have sinned against. So Christians do not need to compensate God for our offenses against Him since He has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus as full payment for our debts. But we still have a responsibility to recompense others against whom we trespass. Even the law, our civic law, um, our county laws, our state laws, our governmental laws, when someone is wronged in this way, it's often required recompense for the crime. So it's very similar. Now, in chapter 6, verse 8, through the end of chapter 7, it deals with the laws of the offerings. And so what happens is, this means that it was very important for the priest to offer the sacrifices already talked about, to offer these sacrifices in the right way, the ways that are laid out in the law. And so in chapters 8 through 10, um, continues this idea as we find the account of the consecration of the priest and the priesthood. This is where Aaron and his sons are inducted into the priesthood through a variety of ceremonies and rituals. This is also where the tabernacle itself is dedicated for service. So this section relates to the priests and how they are supposed to offer the sacrifices in the right way and also consecrating them for office. Now, as we move down to chapter 11 in Leviticus, chapters 11 through 16, we find laws that deal with ritual cleanliness. So these chapters help explain what uncleanliness means for an Israelite and for the whole nation. Chapter 11 details contact with certain animals. Chapter 12 with uncleanness related to childbirth. Chapters 13 through 14 with skin diseases. Um, and their diagnosis was supposed to be done by the priests and treatment given as needed. Chapter 15 deals with uncleanness related to bodily fluid and discharges. And so these chapters, 11 through 15, demonstrate that there were varying degrees of uncleanness and prescribed methods for restoring a person's status to clean. So that's the purpose of those chapters. While they may sound odd and sound insignificant, the purpose was restoring a person's status to clean so that there wasn't anything in the way or hindering them from their worship of God. Now we move on to chapter 16, and this chapter is probably the most famous one of all Leviticus, and this chapter deals with the uncleanness of the nation of a whole. This we often term as the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, and that's described in this chapter, because all of the Israelites 
were to humble their souls and to refrain from work in preparation for this special day. The high priest would offer a sacrifice once a year for the sins of the people. It's the only one day when the national sin was atoned for as the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And in this way, he was atoning for the sins of the entire nation of Israel. Even today, Yom Kippur in Israel is the one day when normal life across Israel stops. All businesses close, including all restaurants and places of leisure. All transportation stop. The airports, Israel's main airport, stop functioning, as does all public transportation. And almost all private vehicles also stop. So the roads become totally empty for the day, apart from maybe emergency vehicles and children and adults riding bikes. And for some reason, biking has become something of a tradition during the 24-hour fast for Yom Kippur. So even today in Israel, this Day of Atonement is still strictly upheld. Now, from chapters 1 to 16, this focus has been on the public worship of Israel the sacrifices at the tabernacle, the priests who administer them, the Day of Atonement, all things that were very public and on display. But now from chapter 17 through actually the rest of Leviticus, the focus shifts to the Israelite as an individual. In other words, how are the Israelites to conduct their private lives in worship to the Lord? And this is where the importance of holiness in all parts of life come into view. God said, and Jesus has quoted from the New Testament, he's quoting the old, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And holiness is meant to be a practical thing. And the Israelites needed to know how to conduct themselves appropriately. Now with this holiness in mind, chapters 17 through 20 deal with holiness in the life of an Israelite. In fact, if I were to preach a sermon on this text, that's what I would title it, Holiness in the Life of a Normal Israelite. (laughs) Chapter 17 specifically deals with the holiness of the blood. Now the warning given in this chapter is about the improper use of blood because God says the life is in the blood and the blood belongs to God the people of Israel had to demonstrate their loyalty to God by bringing all sacrificial blood to the tabernacle exclusively. Every time they sacrifice an offering to the Lord, they were to bring it to the tabernacle exclusively because it belongs to the Lord. This means no false worship, no sacrifices to rival gods, no profaning what God has designed or designated for atonement of life. The tabernacle was the only place they were supposed to bring those offerings. In the New Testament, with the coming of Christ, we find believers being instructed to, quote, drink his blood. You can see John chapter 6 for that. Now, obviously, this is figurative language, for no one actually drinks Jesus' blood. It means that the believer must receive Christ and by faith appropriate his sacrifice for salvation. And, of course, this is expressed symbolically as they drink from the cup in Holy Communion. But the importance here cannot be overstated about the sanctity of the blood because within the blood is life, and that life belongs to God. In chapter 18, the instruction is on holiness and marriage relationships as well as other kinds of unacceptable sexual behavior. Israel was not to be like their pagan neighbors who practiced all manners of wickedness. They were to be holy as God is holy. 
And chapter 19 contains more teaching on holiness in all parts of life, whether it was honoring your parents, whether it was helping the poor, treating neighbors properly, or just simply dealing justly with every person you came across. But by the way, take note of how many times the phrase, I am the Lord, appears in this chapter. A lot. And in fact, when you get to chapter 20, chapter 20 delineates punishments for not following these holiness commands that were given in chapters 18 and 19. And these punishments are given. And, and God gives them here because he doesn't want the people to follow after the practice of the pagan nations. The wicked practices of the pagan nations were punishable by death. But if Israel fell into the same practices as her pagan neighbors, then God would have no other choice than to give them the same consequences. So God was no respecter of persons in sense of morality. So we move into chapter 21, which this is the last chapter for this week's reading. The focus is the holiness of the priests and the sacrifices. The priests were held to a higher standard than the people because of their privileged relationship with God. And by delineating the physical and spiritual qualifications and conduct of the priestly leaders, God was claiming totality of their lives. The point was, the priesthood was not an occupation, but it was life. It was all they had, just like God is all we have. So you can see how all of these offerings, these regulations in this first part of Leviticus, this first part of our reading uh, for this week, from chapter 1 to chapter 21, all these different types of offerings and regulations, they all had a reason. They all had a purpose. They all were pointing the Israelites to the once and for all sacrifice that would come. And that would be Jesus. They were offered in a prescribed way because when God is living literally in the middle of the camp, in the tabernacle was situated in the middle of the camp, when God is living in the middle of the camp, you have to make sure that when you approach him, you are clean and you are pure and you are holy. Well, thank the Lord we don't have to offer sacrifices today in that same manner because the once and for all sacrifice Jesus was given to us so that we can approach God at any time. Like Hebrews says, we can approach the throne of God with boldness at any time. Do you realize what a luxury that is for us to be able to approach God at any time we want, any place we can approach him boldly and ask him things, request of him things, praise him glorify him. We have complete access to God at any time. And that's all based upon the once and for all sacrifice of Christ. If you were living in the Old Testament times, you couldn't easily access God. You had to go through the sacrifices. You had to go through the priest. And even then, if you didn't do it properly, you would be denied. So that kind of makes you see how important Christ's sacrifice is and how this temporary sacrificial system in the Old Testament was never meant to be permanent. It was always meant to point forward to a once and for all sacrifice that would come in his name would be Jesus. Well, that's all we need to reach for this week. We've covered up through chapter 21. I know we've gone over three or four minutes. I hope you've stayed with me. Now, next week, we'll finish up the rest of Leviticus. There are still lots of good stuff to talk about in the last half, those last 
four or five chapters of Leviticus, we talk about all the different feasts that Israel participated in and celebrated throughout the year. The principle of the Sabbath is, is, is here in the rest of in the last half of Leviticus. So there's lots of stuff that's still good that we still got to cover. So stay with us, stay focused. And I know this week is going to be hard because you're going to start reading through Leviticus. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to see the bigger picture. And if you need to replay the podcast as you go through those certain sections to see the bigger picture, then by all means do that. Because you don't want to get bogged down in all the details. The details are important, but the details always focus you on the bigger picture, which is the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. Now, be sure to send me any questions you might have at BibleReading at LMBC.org, and I'll try to answer them quickly. And I look forward to talking with you guys next time.